Last week, we did this uh, One Life update. So this is 18 months into a 24-month generosity initiative that we entitled One Life. It was based in John chapter 1 and verse 4. Speaking of Jesus, John kind of opens his gospel with these cosmic words from Genesis, in the beginning was the word. And he's introducing Jesus to people in the first century who were confused and there was heresies about who Jesus was and his divinity. And John's the longest living disciple who's still alive. And he writes this gospel. It's so powerful. And he opens his gospel with those words. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word was God. And he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, including you and me. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And John wanted his readers to understand that Jesus is the source of all human life. He is the the God of eternity by whom all things were created, and he has come into the world, the expression of God's fullest self, the word, the logos, to reveal the nature and character of God. He is the source of our hope, and this is where our one source of life comes from. We are here because we've been convinced of that. Can I get amen? Uh, most of us are alive and awake this morning, and you may be physically alive, but it's possible to be physically alive and spiritually dead, isn't it? And yet when good news of great joy for all people is heralded, our spirits come to life by a miracle of the Holy Spirit, and this is the life that John was referring to. And when we talk about expanding our campus and making room for more and becoming a multiplying church, all of those things are aimed at telling a lost and dying world about true life that finds its source in Jesus Christ. Can I get amen? And so how fitting for this, this series we did in January of 2021 and that we're recapping now at the 18-month mark to be called uh, One Life. And so I want to just give you an update. If you haven't been following this initiative uh, we're trying to add a 15,000 square foot addition to this campus. Uh, you may have seen when you came in four white markers staked out in the north field. Those are the four corners of where that new building is going to be. Our contractor was out and put those in to kind of give us a feel of where it's going to sit. It has taken up every available inch of grass out there, isn't it? And so that's going to be um, a way for us to get all the adults out there and then to free up this space for the use of our children. God has given us a rich stewardship. 25 to 30% of our kids, our congregation, are ages 0 to 12. Isn't that incredible? And so that is a big deal for us, and so we want to make room for them. And so we're going to convert this whole space into a wing for our children, and that's going to allow us to get to 700 or so humans in a service and to be a church of about 1,200 in two services, which is where we'd like to stop growing in service numbers. And then instead, we want to begin to put together uh, launch teams and be a multiplying church that's uh, infusing communities where churches are dying with new life. And so this is what God is doing. And part of our strategy, I've talked about it this last week, has been the the three M's, momentum, mobilization, and multiplication. Uh, We want to continue to maintain momentum. Since we started Christ Church in 2015, we have been nonstop growing. And it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? It's a beautiful thing to be a part of something that is alive. You know that living things grow. Do you know that? And growing things change. But what oftentimes we don't realize is that changing things change things. And we want to be part of the body of Christ that is changing things in our world. And so there is life happening because of the Spirit of God. There is growth happening because of that life. 
and there's change happening because of that growth. But we are looking at taking the good news of Jesus and radically transforming individuals and marriages and families and communities and businesses for the glory of God in our generation. And this is simply a tool and a step for us to do that together. Now, we are kind of shifting from first to fourth here a little bit. I don't know if you've noticed the scale of this or if you've been a part of any church building expansion projects. Typically, the expansions are more incremental and ongoing. We really felt the Lord leading us to go, let's do this big one and done. Let's do this one time and get us all the way to where we're going. And so we bit off a little bit more than maybe some people would say we could chew, um, but we really feel like this is what God has called us to do. Now, uh, we are a little bit ahead of schedule. If you were here last week, I announced that we had a bunch of records broken in the month of August. You guys know typically church attendance dips in the summer. We've not experienced that uh, to date, and this year was no different. In August, uh, we had over 100 kids every Sunday. In fact, one Sunday in August, we had the highest kid number we've had that wasn't an Easter Sunday ever in the history of Christ Church, which is phenomenal. Uh, we had over 700 on site the second week of August which is our capacity with the way we have things set up. We're going to have to make some changes in order to get past that limit. And then uh, our new high combined average between on-site and online peaked out in August, the highest ever at 866 average attendance, which is a big, big deal. Now, that's awesome. That's growth. But it also, it's some tipping points and markers for us where those were the numbers we said, when we see those, we will do thus. And we weren't ready to do thus. <laughs> we just did that. And now we don't, we don't want to do thus. And so here we are, um, a little caught off, a little bit off guard, but um, with everyone's continued, continued stewardship and proactive support, we know we can make room for more people and continue to steward the growth. So last week we looked primarily at verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 4 that says, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. The first preceding verses talk about this one thing we're all a part of. There's this unity of the spirit. We're all in this together. There is, there is one body, one spirit, just as we were called to one hope that belongs to one call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us. And I was, I was a pleading with every single person that calls Christ Church home that you be the you that God made you to be, that our strategy for, to maintain this momentum is you. We want to see every single member mobilized, and when you are functioning the way God has called you, you will begin to see the world around you change, not just here on Sunday mornings where there's plenty of work to do. We'll put you on a team, but there's also opportunities for you to use the gifts God's given you to be a blessing to the people that are in your spheres of influence, in your neighborhoods, in your places of business, um, in your communities. And so we want to see everybody actively engaged. And this morning, I want to talk a little bit about what it looks like for us to contribute financially and to think through um, the money part of this. And so I want to talk to you about some numbers. Now you guys are like, oh, great, building and now money. These are the two things nobody wants to hear about when they come to church for the, to the very first time. Now you guys know we don't talk about money around here very much. Uh, we don't have a collection. If you've been at Christ Church any length of time, you know that we do things a little different. We were no-touch giving before no-touch giving was a thing. And uh, part of that is because we, are, we, we have this set of beliefs about stewardship and about generosity, which I'm going to share with you this morning, that informs the methodology. And so we have the giving boxes on the back wall, and it requires everybody to prepare their gift for the Lord, bring it, put it in the box in a private fashion. And it gives us the opportunity to say to our guests that we are here to give something to you and not to take something from you. And that's what the, the, the gospel is all about. So th this is, we, we, we don't, we are not, a if you come back next Sunday, we're not the church that does the pre-sermon money sermon. You ever been in those churches where you come in, there's some music, and then somebody gets up to do a little why you should give and how you should give and reads a little thing, and you're like, is that the, is that the sermon? And then the pastor comes out, you're like, oh, here we go, you know. And so we're not that church, but we are going to talk about money today because it's important, and it gives us an opportunity to talk about 
what we see that God calls us to do in the scriptures. And so this is for you, whether you're a member of Christ Church or not. And I think it may alter your perspective, and you'll find it rather intriguing, if nothing less. And so let's read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 down to 16. Here's what it says. So this is, this is the Apostle Paul talking about the, the incredible movement of God to bring about this, this church, this thing that he's doing in the first century where he has put together um, on the foundation of Jesus both Jews and Gentiles. Two groups of people could not be more diametrically opposed to one another, and now they are one together in their relationship with Jesus and in this new thing called church, and they're trying to figure out all sorts of things that you can read about in the letters of the New Testament. But here's what he says in Ephesians, starting in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers... Notice these are all speech gifts. Apostles are authorized messengers, like we might call them missionaries or church planters. The prophets, those who are in tune to the movement of God in the present and speaking the consolation and encouragement of the Holy Spirit. The evangelists, those who, who speak the good news, who can't stop preaching the gospel and who equip other people to do so. The shepherds, those leaders God has given who tenderly protect and lead God's people from one place to where God wants to bring them. And the teachers, those who instruct and open God's truth to people. And these gifts were given, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. I'm tempted to re-preach last week's sermon, but I'm not. I'm going to have self-control because there's more people coming in after this. You are part of God's strategy. And if you are equipped, then you are doing the work, then ministry is getting done. And the effect of that is the building up of the body of Christ. So if something's alive, it grows. And this is going to happen, verse 13, until we all attain the unity of the faith. That means there's more of us than are currently paying attention and a part of what God is doing, and we are supposed to be acting in real time so that more people are coming into a saving faith in Jesus and being added to the body of Christ. And it's, it's growing in the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so we are growing both numerically and spiritually and through transformation and relationally, and this is the activity of God and the purpose of God. Now look at this, verse 14. So that we may no longer be children. I want to tell you to turn to your neighbor say, grow up, grow up, act your age. Am I the only one that ever hears someone say, act your age? No? You guys, you have anybody in your family? You're not acting your age, act your age. That we would no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cutting, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. you got to be anchored in the truth of God so that you know are led astray by a lie. Do you realize this? And I don't know that this is more important in church history than it is right now, but it sure seems very important. We are living in an age where you have access to all of the crazy lies that the world has to offer, and they're inundating your personal space constantly. And now more than ever, you got to be anchored in truth to know the difference between truth and a lie. We live in an age of mis- and disinformation. In fact, everything I'm hearing right now, I'm like, lie, lie, lie. I feel like Fox Mulder in 1994, like, trust no one. It's all a big conspiracy, every bit of it. In fact, I'm looking at who I'm listening to, and I'm going, I'm going to believe the exact opposite of whatever you're telling me, because you're a liar. So you can, you, I'll listen to you and know it's the exact opposite of that. You guys feel like that at all? Am I the only one? But it's not, not knowing who's lying to you, it's being confident in the truth. This is one of the reasons why in October... This is one of two very important announcements this morning. In October, we're doing an audience-driven sermon series that I've done a number of times called Hot Topics. Have, you guys, have any of you guys been around for Hot Topics in the past? So this is where you text in your questions or topics, 
to the number on the screen, and then I'm going to preach sermons that answer your questions, which is really cool because it puts you in control of the sermon content, but I also want you to know if it's a dud of a sermon, it's basically your fault. So I just want you to be prepared. I will blame you for it if it's not good. So you can participate. What are the lies? What are the things you're trying to discern? What are the things you're trying to take apart? How is this impacting your world personally? Text it in, and we'll talk about it. Usually they come in in big groups of similar questions, and they um, help me to be able to address some of these issues, which we will bring truth to. So that's, this is what we're trying to grow up to avoid and to be saved from. And then verse 15, rather, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. In every way, into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, that's every one of us, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, and this is the key phrase, listen, when each part is working properly. Now you know in your own physical body when a part stops working properly, don't you? You know something's off, and you feel it, and if you've ever gone through a debilitating illness where something was off, and there was a period of time before it started working properly, or it was uh, treated, or adjusted, or some, some transformation took place, you know what it's like when your body is not working properly, and the church of Jesus is exactly the same. Every one of us are a gift to the purposes of God, a gift to the body of Christ, an indispensable part of what God is doing, and we need every single person working properly. And what is the effect? It makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Listen, God has a plan for you where you are part of something that is constantly being built up in love and where you are using the gifts that God has given to you and being a gift given by God to others so that you are a part of something that is literally changing the world around you. Listen, we all start small, and we all start relatively ineffectively, but when God is at work and we are alive, we continue to grow, and that growth takes us to places that God is going to change things. He's going to change things in you, and he's going to change things through you. And so I want to challenge you to get in the game in every conceivable way so that you are actively a part of what God is doing, and you are benefiting from it, and others are benefiting from the contribution that you will make. That is what we are after. We got this one life sourced in Jesus, and we're given this one opportunity to use our days for his purposes and our benefit, and that is what we are aiming at. And if we're doing that right, it's not going to stop growing. And if it's not going to stop growing, then things are not going to stop changing. Do you understand? But changing things change things. And so I want to talk a little bit about that this morning, and I just want to pause briefly and we ask God to bless the reading of his word that's been deposited into our hearts already. God, I thank you that you are a God who speaks. God, from the beginning, you spoke creation into existence. God, you spoke to your people. You constantly took the initiative. You constantly were the one revealing. And God, you have spoken to us in these last days by your son. Lord, we can see you in, a, in perfect clarity, in HD, because of Jesus. And Lord, we want to live our lives in accordance with truth. We want to live in your reality. God, we want to walk not according to what we feel or what we fear, but according to the faith that you have deposited on the inside of us. And so I pray, God, by your spirit's power, you would do a transformative work to lift us up out of the myopic attention to our small life to see how you want to use us to bring change in this world. God, this is a miracle that only you can do, and so I'm appealing to you, God, 
Speak to us now, I pray. In Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Yesterday, uh, our family celebrated our daughter Genevieve's 13th birthday, which means I'm officially the dad of a teenager. Talk about changing things. Had me thinking a lot about growth. Had me thinking about the way things grow and change and how our family dynamic has grown and changed. Some of you have got your kids now and grandkids and maybe great-grandkids, and you can look back in your history and see the ways your life changed and shifted. And doesn't it seem to go so quickly when you look back? And yet sometimes right in the moment it seems to go by so slowly. And so I was reflecting on these things and I was just thinking about about growing pains a little bit. Evie's kind of built like me and she's in that age now where she's growing like a weed. And, and she'd come down some mornings and she'd be like, Dad, my legs hurt so bad. I'm getting these cramps at night. And my knees make the uh, sound, you know, and I'm like, she's like, something wrong with me? And I'm like, no, everything's right with you. That's how this works. And I was telling her all the stories for me about, I'm remembering back to being 12, 13, 14 years old and growing as fast as you have since you were going from infancy into your first year. You basically double in size. And the same thing happens kind of in, 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 during puberty. You kind of start growing. If you're a guy, you, you, you know, you go from little boy voice to, to, to little man voice. You know, moms and your, your son's like, hey, mom, I want to show you something. I did it so cool. You're like, oh, well. What happened there? <laughs> and then and it's all exciting when it happens at home in front of your mom. And then it happens at school, you know, and you're like, hey, guys, you want to see? And your voice cracks and you're all humiliated. And so you're going through these, like, periods of time where everything's kind of shifting and changing. And I was remembering being 13, riding around New Smyrna Beach on my bicycle, barefoot. And my feet had grown so much one summer. I, was, I kept, like, dragging my toes off the pedals across the concrete. Like, the tops of my feet were all scraped up. I wasn't used to how long they were. You know, I was walking into stuff and bumping my head constantly. Growing pains. Some of it's natural and some of it's self-inflicted as you're learning to kind of reorient to your new size. It's just part of life. Now, one of the things that's kind of odd that's been happening recently as Christchurch continues to grow, and you, we expect it to kind of maybe flatten out or the growth rate to come down, and it isn't. And so I've had people asking me the same kind of question. They, they, they keep asking me, like, uh, what is making Christchurch grow? And it's a, a various groups of people, people who are new to the church, people who have been around for a while. I've had people from outside of organization who lead other organizations asking this question. A number of people are asking this question. And, and it's a valid question because our church is growing in a time when other churches are shrinking or even closing. And so the, it's a valid question. But some people are asking for different reasons. Some people are saying, you know, kind of just trying to figure out what are the pieces and parts of this. Where is it coming from so we can understand how to steward it? It's a good question. Some people are asking because they want to know kind of what's the secret sauce. You know, what are you doing that's working so that I can do those things and it can work for me? You guys know what I'm talking about? Duplicating success. And so uh, people have been asking me this question. And there's lots of like, there's lots of like top level answers. You know, the gospel always changes lives. We had 25 people baptized so far this year. When those people start living differently, they're witness to their family. And then people start coming to church and their social networks connect. And people who are looking for a church and their church closed or they moved here. And then they come and they start inviting everybody. And so there's all these different things that happen that cause the church to grow in attendance, you know. But there's way more going on than just numbers of people sitting in each service. Do you realize that? And so the answer is actually quite different than maybe the question is intended to get at. Part of the reason Christ Church is growing, and these are the two reasons I've been giving people, number one is it's in our DNA. It's on the sign. You guys saw that joined with Jesus. You know, he is alive and the source of life, and if you're connected with him, life is coming into you. Do you realize how this works? 
And if life is flowing through you, then things about you change and things around you get better. And God's at work in your relationships. And so that has a, a, a divinely attractive effect. And so it's making everything better. And there's a natural spiritual growth that happens in so much as that every person has a life-giving relationship with Jesus. Do you realize that? And so we expect it. It's in our DNA. But what's also in our DNA, if you listen to our DNA series, part four, our strategy has always been, like I talked about last week, to mobilize every member. We want to see every single person seeing themselves as an indispensable part of the whole who has a function to fulfill. And when you are fulfilling that function, you are making the thing grow. And when you are not, you are causing that to, to not grow. And so we want everybody to get in the game, to mobilize every member. This is kind of a part of, of our plan the whole time. I had an illustration of this. Julian and I, we, we go shopping a lot. I, I love my wife, and so whenever I go to the grocery store, I take my son out of the house. And we have a good time together. Don't you love going to the store with me, buddy? Sitting on the front row. We have fun. And so we make friends with all the people that work in the grocery stores, and we chat with everybody, and people get a kick out of him and the things he says and does. And the other day we were in uh, Publix, and there wasn't somebody to bag the groceries, and so Julian started bagging groceries. Now, if you see him, he's, he's like 52 inches tall, so he almost looks old enough to work there. You know what I mean? So he, but he's, he's five, and so he's, um, he's kind of sticking stuff in bags and helping. And so this, this lady comes over, this kind of smaller, foreign-looking lady comes over to, to, to take over. You know, like, oh, I can help out with that. He's like, no, nah, I got this. You know, I'm, I, he's stuffing stuff in there, and he's talking to the lady who's checking out the groceries and this other lady who's waiting there to help bag when he's finished. And, uh, and so the lady looks at me, and she goes, how old is he? Because sometimes they're like, is he a giant, or is he kind of like a dumb 8-year-old? Like, what, like what is... <laughs> They're trying to figure out, like, the things he's saying does not seem to, to not be coming out of the mouth of a body the size of this child. That's the kind of dilemma that they're in. And so um, he's very quick to go, I am five. You know, I am five years old. And he, she, he says this to this lady, and her eyes got, like, this big. And she was like, my son is five, and he is not that size. <laughs> you know? The average five-year-old is 39 to 43 inches tall. Julian is 52 inches tall, you know? And yet I'm standing there. I'm 6'4". I'm standing next to them. I'm like... It's in the DNA. Do you not understand how this works? You know, he is my man-child. So this is what's happening now. And so it's built in. And so this is, this is the growth we can expect. And at the same time, as if we're true to what God has called us to do and be, the same way that every one of us, each one of us, engages to do what God has called us to do, we can expect that growth to happen. Do you understand? Now, I won't, we won't be able to see how it happens because 90% of it's going to happen not in here. It's going to be happening out there. It's going to be happening in your relationships, in your communications, in your prayers, uh, in the people that you're ministering to. And then the result of it is going to be seen in here. And so this is really just a miracle of what God is doing. Now, last week I gave you some numbers, some updated numbers. We had, again, um, generous, faithful pledges came in over 100% in the month of August, which was fantastic. I told you we had $866,000 um, total pledged and with our kickoff offering, even though our goal uh, for this fundraising was $2 million dollars. We had a six-month projection from now until we close, expecting about eighty-four to 100000 more to come in before we're done. And so at 100%, we'd yield just over $900,000, and we may get to or cross the million-dollar mark by the time this whole thing is done. I also announced last week that we are finally under contract with our builder. So on Tuesday, we signed the paperwork. That's where those stakes came from. And a week from now, there'll be a sign out there. 
We have three months to four months of drawing where the, all of the plans are going to go from uh, concept to architectural plans. Those can go out for bid, and then we can take those to the county, we can apply for the permits, and that takes about another three months. And so in six to eight months, we could start to see activity over here where the construction begins to happen if, in fact, we can afford to do everything uh, when all the numbers actually come in, which is a little bit of what I want to talk to you about today. Because... I don't know if you noticed this or not, we celebrate $866,000 in total pledges and faithfulness above and beyond that with the expectation of even hitting a million, but our goal 18 months ago was $2 million, and if you read the sign out there, it says that we needed $1.35 million in order to start the project, and we didn't see $1.35 million, but here we are starting the project anyway. Any of you guys wondered about that or asked that question? No, all the 9 o'clock people, that was just them, all the type A's were asking that. Um, we are moving forward anyway, and there's two reasons why. Uh, the first reason is that as Christchurch has continued to grow, we've kind of capped our expenses. And so last year, we ran like $150,000 surplus in general giving, general fund giving. And so we didn't need that, so we didn't spend that, and so we saved that. And then in 2022, we've done the same thing, and so we've saved, we have some, some cash surplus that is stored up. Now, we also need to get to where we can afford the new mortgage payment, and so that's, some of that money is going to move over into monthly expenses once we actually have this new loan, which is the second thing I'll mention to you. Not only do we have this little surplus, but our debt uh, limit, our servicing financing number, went from $2 million to $2.9 million. Now, that's not just how much they'll loan to us. The bank will give us more money than we could ever afford to pay back. Have you guys ever bought a house and you go in to pre-qualify? And they're like, this is what you can afford. You're like, no, I can't. You're going to loan me that much money? You're a fool because I cannot, I cannot pay that. This is how all banks work, and ours is no different. So this is our willing debt load, and this is in response to the growth that we have seen. Christchurch, uh, our board of directors, we always look to the future, but we plan conservatively. We don't plan expecting more to come in than we're experiencing now. We, there always is more. There always has been, but that's not a guarantee. Can they get amen? And so we don't count our chickens before they... That was a throwback to the Proverbs series. I don't know why I did that. Anyway, anyway, so we can, this is what we can afford. This is what it's going to take. But even with that, it's actually really super tight. And so um, if you look at the numbers, and this is in one of the slides. It's a little further down, guys, if you want to pop this up. Um, so this is just a little overview of the numbers. This is, I, I kind of put this together. This is that current 8,000 square foot slide. It's a little further down. I'm making adjustments because we went over in first service. Um, this is our, kind of our current situation. We owed $850,000 on this facility. This is an 8,000 square foot building. It seats 215 people plus overflow. Our max capacity in this building per service is 300. So 300 people is 100, is 100 and plus percent, and some people are uncomfortable. Some of you are like, yep, that's me. Uh, that's, that's what we can fit. So if you put this, I put this in, um, went, move the decimal over, because not everybody's good with millions and hundreds and thousands. And so I thought, what, this is kind of like moving from a little home to a big home. And so imagine for a moment that you own a little two-bedroom house, an 800-square-foot two-bedroom house, and you owe $85,000 on it. And you love your neighborhood, but your family's growing, and so instead of moving, you decide to add on. And so you're going to go to a big, huge five-bedroom, three-bathroom house, four-bathroom house, and it's 1,500 square feet. So it's 15,000 we're adding, but imagine 1,500 square feet. And so that's going to cost you 250 grand, which is not abnormal in the housing market. It seems about right. So you owed 85,000. What you want to add is going to cost you 250,000. And there's some additional costs that you're going to have to do in order to satisfy the county and building codes and upgrade the old part of the house. And there's 60 to 90,000 dollars in there. So your new mortgage is 290,000. So ours is 2.9 million. I just moved the decimal. Do you see what I did here? 
All right, just trying to make this consumable for us. And then that means the total cost of this project is like 310 to 340,000, which is kind of like the average sale price of a house even kind of before this little bubble took place. So this is kind of the, the numbers. The second, the second one is kind of the, the, the money situation. So look at this slide, next slide. So our total cash down, we were able to come up with that $860,000 or enough to eliminate all of the previous debt. Our old mortgage payment was 5,000, so here $500 a month. Our new mortgage payment, 1,800 a month. Not a bad mortgage payment, considering and the scale of 10 times, that's very typical. Our new monthly expenses, so our bills every month, 7,400, 74,000. Current monthly income, and this is where it gets weird because our income fluctuates, and we plan conservatively, and we always make sure we have enough, and as I told you, we've been running a surplus, but six to 9,000, depending on the month. This means before we move in, we need to have raised twenty to 60000 or in our case, with that decimal point moved back, somewhere between two hundred dollars and $600,000. And a lot of this is unknown because we don't know what all the expenses are going to be, and so this is subject to change without notice. <laughs> but minimally, we've got to bring in another two hundred to 600000 Now, the good news is we're running a surplus, and this is going to be two years before this thing is built. Do you realize this? And so we could do nothing on the same trajectory and still afford to move forward. So as long as things aren't crazy expensive, then everything's going to work out just fine if no one does anything different and we're not planning on new people coming in here and contributing to it. However, I do believe that not everybody is completely engaged. And I know this because there's about 1,500 people that call Christ Church home, but we only have about 400 giving families, which means there's approximately a third of people who go to Christ Church that don't contribute financially in, in any conceivable way. Now, I don't know who you are, and I don't know why you wouldn't, but I want to tell you what God's plan is for you and why you ought to, and also consider why being a part of the One Life Initiative at this point and helping us to close this gap before we even get to it would be an amazing way that you can be a part of what God is doing. Mostly, though, I don't want you to meet a need. I'm not coming to you this morning with a need. we got a plan to work this out. If everybody just does what they've been doing and does what they said, we're going to be just fine on this barring unforeseen circumstances, okay? But God's after your heart. And the fastest way to get to your heart is through your wallet. Do you know that? Think about this for a second. God made everything. God owns everything. God needs nothing. You know this? God is the only being who can make more money without causing inflation. <laughs> Do you know how this works? And so God doesn't need your money, and we don't need your money, Everybody who's here and is committed is making this thing happen with or without you. But I'm giving you an opportunity to participate for your benefit and for the benefit of future people who are going to be blessed by this. Now, Jesus always made this connection. Go back to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasured on earth. Don't hoard up your money to feel good and feel safe and feel secure. Why? Because moth and rust destroy. This is why I'm waiting to get my dream car until the new creation so it will not rust. And where thieves break in and steal, but instead lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says, listen, put your money where you want your heart to follow. And if you want your heart to follow to a place where it's eternal, then that's people. And seeing people's lives changed and transformed is going to affect eternity. So stop hoarding the money to make yourself feel better and instead trust me and then give generously. This is what Jesus is teaching everybody here. Now, we got a fresh reminder of this week when on Labor Day, Monday morning, 
I get a text message from Gary, our facility director, to let us know that when he arrived to the church to take the trash out, someone had pried open our mailbox and stolen all the mail, including bank-generated checks that are part of the offering. And so I was freshly reminded that thieves break in and steal. It's crazy, isn't it? So how was your Labor Day? Now, we immediately started working on this. Obviously, we had to call the police. We had to call the post office. We had to call the bank. We had to go back in our records to see who typically gave with bank-generated checks during that week to contact those people to let them know something was wrong. All of those things, we had to kind of took up our Monday to try to figure all those things out. And ultimately, though, in our technological age, this is not like a total loss. Unless one of you, like, stuffed an envelope full of cash in there this week. I don't know that you did that. But if you did do that, that's gone forever. <laughs> But mostly what this person ended up with was bank-generated checks. Now, I figured out when this may have happened, and guess what? Whoever did this pulled up in front of one of our security cameras and went through the mail on tape in a, in a very recognizable vehicle that I will not describe. And so I'm like, oh, it's just a matter of time. And then this morning I find out not only did they do that, they went to an ATM in front of a camera and deposited all of those checks into their own account. <laughs> Which, what that means is they went into the bank and the bank, the bank realized that's not where they belong, so you are going to jail, and then they just moved the money over to our account where they belonged. So that person effectively just saved us a trip to the bank. <laughs> You understand what happened here? This is what happened. Now, in the natural, there was lots of reasons, reasons for us to be stressed out this week, right? I mean, just, the, just the having to, to reach out to your donors and supporters and say, hey, we're sorry your check got stolen. That's, that's difficult. And people trying to cancel stuff. And do I cancel? What do I wait? And blah, blah, blah. All that. God's got all that, all that under control. But here's the thing. Here's where our heart goes when our mind is thinking in God's sphere. Listen, here's what, this is where our hearts go. I don't know what type of desperate circumstances it would take a person to drive to a church and pry open the mailbox in hopes of finding a check that they could get quick access to some cash that they will knowingly end up in jail for on two federal offenses. But I know that there's a person making that choice. And so money doesn't matter at all, but people do. And so since Monday, we've been praying for that person. And we've been praying that God will do something that will save them from the desperation that drove them to do something so foolhardy and instead drive them to where true life can be found. Do you understand? And so the same is true with what we do with our giving. The same is true. And so the, the, scriptures, the scriptures speak to how we ought to use our giving, and so I just want to challenge you to consider this, this short acronym um, as we close. Now, if you grew up in church any length of time, you know. Um, you, you've heard the word tithe. Raise your hand if you've heard the word tithe. A tithe is in the scripture, and it literally means a tenth, and the Old Testament law instructs the people of Israel to tithe. They actually, and so a lot of people will teach, because the Old Testament says tithe, that's God's way of giving, and so everyone who follows God ought to tithe, and tithe is 10%, so give 10%, it's that simple. It's actually quite a bit more complicated than that. In fact, there was five tithes in the Old Testament, and the average Israelite gave to the temple 23.5% of their annual yield, plus free will offerings, totaling somewhere between 30 and 40% of everything entrusted to their care went to the temple. That was also their taxation. 
It was not, that was for their nation, and that was for all of the parts of the sacrificial system. And so to think that we ought to do the exact same thing in the exact same way is actually quite dull. Um, but there's a principle there, and the principles are enumerated for us in the New Testament. And I describe them to you with the acronym FISCAL. Somebody say FISCAL. FISCAL. I thought about calling this sermon, Let's Get FISCAL. <laughs> but I, I found that to be of poor taste. This is what God is after in how every Christian gives, and every Christian ought to give, but you ought to give in these ways. Number one, faithful. It's required of stewards that they be found faithful. This is why proportional giving is helpful because God is only holding us accountable for what he has put into our care. And so to whom much is given, much is expected. And so this is why tithing is a good one-size-fits-most practice for many people. But the reality is, is that it's personal because only God knows what you have in your hands. I do not. And it's none of anybody else's business, but you will give an account to him for what you did with what you put in your hands. Do you realize it? And so your giving ought to be faithful. Secondly, it should be intentional. It should be done on purpose. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says that everyone must give as he has decided in his heart, which is why we are not going to show tear-jerking videos and pictures of bloated, tummy children with flies around their head to make you feel bad about yourself and then tell you how you're the richest people in the world and then wrench money out of your hands so that when you get in your car, you go, I did not have that much money to give. Some of you are still raising 14 children from El Salvador because you were compelled to give. And here's what I'm trying to tell you is God wants you to make a decision and then stick with that. And part of it is because it is meant to be uh, thought through and not, not wrenched out of you. It needs to come from the inside of your heart, which is what God is after. Thirdly, sacrificial. Oftentimes we think about sacrifice as loss. Something is sacrificed, it's dead. That's not exactly the case. Sometimes death is involved and that foreshadows the sacrifice of Jesus but sacrifice is about taking something from here and moving it for another purpose. And so you're, it's never lost. It's always repurposed. But we do feel the cost of it. And so you should not give in a way that does not feel like it costs you something. If your giving has become so comfortable that you can do it without feeling anything, you are not giving enough. And so our giving ought to be sacrificial. Fourthly, our giving should be cheerful. Somebody say cheerful. This is my favorite one because I hear you guys brag about the good deals you got on stuff. I love when people say, you're not going to believe the deal I got. I got this boat or I got this car. I bought this house. And they'll tell you the exact amount they paid for it with happiness. And so I know that it's possible for people to talk about money they no longer have with joy. Because it depends on what you got in return. Do you understand how this works? And this is what God wants cheerful givers. He wants you to feel so good about what you're investing in that you can't wait to talk about it. You're so happy to do it. You're so ready to give it. This is, this is so important because it's about your heart. It's about your relationship with God. The truth of the matter is I don't care whether you give happy. I don't care at all and I never know. We just count the money back there and we put it in the bank and we use it the way God wants us to use it. I never know if you were like, I have no idea. And honestly, I don't care. But God cares because he's after your heart. Do you understand? And so we give cheerfully. And then lastly, the methods we give is to give abroad and locally. Abroad meaning we give to the, the far reaches of the kingdom of heaven where new, where new people who do not know the knowledge of God are receiving it. And people are living on mission out at the edge. And that is because we're part of a global call and because we want to give in a way that it doesn't come back to us. The last thing is that we give locally, and God wants us to support our local church. It's very clear in the scripture. If you worship here, you should be supporting here. You should be investing here. But you shouldn't just be investing here, because if you're just investing here, then there's a benefit to you. All of you are enjoying the air conditioning. Some of you are enjoying the coffee. All of you are enjoying a padded seat, except for those people in the overflow, and we apologize. 
And so here we are. <laughs> this is a great attitude, isn't it? So here we are. This is the New Testament's teaching on giving. And the tithe works good for most people. But some people are living on so little that a tenth of what comes in, and because of what everything else is going out, it puts you in a position of not having enough. The reality, though, is, is that typically the poorest people are the most generous. Do you know that? Statistically, in every regard, people are more generous with the less they have and not the other way around. And in the same way, if you are entrusted with millions and millions of dollars, do you need 90% of millions and millions of dollars? No, you do not. And I would like to find out for myself if that's true. <laughs> but from my angle, it seems true now. And so it's important that we give in a way that is faithful, intentional, sacrificial, cheerful, and local and abroad. Now, I'm going to close right here. And I have an announcement to make. This is the second announcement. In order for us to continue to grow, we have to change. And the thing we're going to have to change next, as you guys have already experienced, is where we are experiencing a pinch is the time between services. Now, we have two choices. Shorten services and make them shorter, smaller, less music, less preaching, or change the service times to create more space in between them. We looked at all of the different service time options, and we picked the one that was the least unpopular because they're all terrible. And here's what we're doing starting 10-9. Everybody say 10-9. Yeah, like you're counting down. That's how you're going to remember. 10-9. We're moving to 9, 1030, and 12 noon. Now, nobody wants to go to 12 noon church. That's what everyone says. No one's going to do that. Yes, they are, because I'm going to tell them to. That's, <laughs> that's how it's going to work. So you're here at 1015, and in your service is about to be 1030, which is not a big change, is it? Some of you, that means you won't have to sit in the back. That's what it means, right? But that 12 service is the one right now that's the most empty. We're, 9 o'clock was fuller than this. This is fuller than most people are comfortable. There's a few seats available. 12 noon is going to be, I'm going to ask you missionally to move to 12 noon. I'm going to ask you to go to breakfast, new routine, breakfast, church at lunch. Do you understand this? And I'm going to ask you to do that so that we can have more room for people at 9 and 1030 and for the people who are regulars to go to church at 12 noon. Now, that's a, that, for some people, that's like, I don't know if I can do that. I'm not spiritually mature enough for that. I don't know. This is going to be your chance. Now, listen, I'm not going to tell everyone to do it. I'm going to leave it to the Holy Spirit because I did this once before. Right after COVID, we did three services, and I was convinced that the 10 o'clock was going to be full. And so I said, please go to 845 or 1115. Don't go to 10. We're going to leave that one open for, for new people to come in. You know what happened at 10 o'clock? No one came. There was like eight people here the first service. I was like, where is everybody? And the people were like, you literally told us not to come. That's what happened. So this is a very obedient church. You guys respond very quickly to the things I ask you to do. So I don't want to mess this up, but I'm just asking you to let the Holy Spirit tell you, are you supposed to be a 12 noon person? Go eat pancakes and then come to church at 12, all right? Now, here's why. This is not about, we, do, we have never done service times for popularity or to meet preferences. We have never done this as a way to go, what do people want? What's the most popular service times? No, we have said, we want to encounter God. How can we do that for the most number of people possible? And this is unfortunately it. 9, 10, 30, and 12, starting on 10, 9. And here's where I want to close because we're already out of time. Wow, I'm bad at this. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I love this, and this is what I want to leave you with. The Apostle Paul here in this section about giving puts into monetary terms the good news about Jesus. And he, he compels the Corinthians to give generously for a certain purpose, and he said, here's why. Verse 9. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... Yet for your sake, he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. If you've put your faith in Jesus, this is what you've come to know to be true. You can have all the money in the world and be completely spiritually impoverished and heading towards death and destruction. 
but God gave everything so that you could experience his many blessings. And so we want to be people just like that who live our lives before God, give in response to what he's entrusted to us, do it on purpose, move from this category, sacrifice for the purposes of God, do it with cheerfulness, knowing where it's going, and making sure it's both abroad and local. And if we can do that, then God will tell you exactly how much and when. And I believe we have everything that we need to finish this project, to move towards the future, and to be the church that God's called us to be in the months and years to come. Amen? God, we thank you for your word. It is life to us. We thank you for just a picture of Jesus, wealthy and rich, impoverishing himself so that we could be made whole and brought into your family, God, and we are so blessed and so rich. I pray that you would work by your spirit to direct each one of us to do exactly what you've called us to. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, amen.